would you turn in your Bibles one more time to the book of Leviticus? Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26, and we're just going to use this as a basis for our conversation this morning and the discussion that we're going to have. I'm going to be giving you information in, again, a different way. No Greek and Hebrew words this morning, as much as we love those around here. We're just going to stick to English. It's uh, the language I know best. Leviticus chapter 26 in your Bibles. Where the Lord says in verse 1, you shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a pillar Nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you'll walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then, watch this, I shall give you rains in their season so the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last until you gather, until grape gathering and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land. And no sword will pass through your land, but you will chase your enemies, and they will fall by you, before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. Watch this. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. And Paul said, these things happen to them as an example for, on, on us, or example for us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Israel is the example. What God did with Israel, did for Israel, is his heart's desire for all people who come to know him, to bless and to encourage and to to build up. This is not just the heart of God for his people Israel. This is the heart of God for you and for me and for his church today. His heart for anyone who will, back in verse 2, keep his Sabbaths. Anyone, also in verse 2, who will revere his sanctuary. Anyone who will, verse 3, walk in his statutes and keep his commandments. In other words, These are his promises for anyone who will rest in him, worship him, and keep his word. What does God expect of me this morning? Rest in him, worship him, keep his word. It is so simple. We do this, and guess what? You will eat the old supply and even clear out the old because of the new, old and new. You'll be blessed in both, old and new. And it's not lost on me that we have in our hands two testaments, old and new. And we don't clear out the old, but we sure do eat of the old and we eat of the new and we are blessed of both. Jeremiah 6.16, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Where? In the ancient paths. But Isaiah 43, 19, the Lord also said, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? 
Turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, swing it all the way to the other end of your Bibles. Matthew 13, where Jesus is going one after another, parables of the kingdom, of the new thing that God prophesied through Isaiah, back in Isaiah 43, I will do something new. He's talking about the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, to round it all out, he says to them, therefore, Matthew 13, 52, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Old and new. We've spent 17 and a half years here at the Bridge Christian Fellowship now bringing out food and treasure. Old food that feeds us as well as the new food has fed us and treasures new and old that that the Lord puts before us and we we get to feast on this and enjoy this. And we've been doing this for, for a long time. And remarkably, those of you who have been here any amount of time know the Lord has had a way of reaching right where we are, right where we are. In other words, we could be in Leviticus and the cultural application for us has been remarkable. We could be in the book of 1 John and what's happening in our nation or in our world at the time and what God is teaching us in 1 John, it's, it's amazing to me how timely his word continues to be and how much it applies. And so we began a process 17 and a half years ago of starting in Genesis and going through Revelation. And then back around the horn we've come, which is why we just finished Leviticus, and we're about to head into the next book. And by the way, the next book is no exception to the timeliness of God's word. But we're not there yet. We're not in the next book. We're going to pause this morning in our trek through the Bible. This is something we rarely do. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done this on a Sunday morning. But it's important this morning, and I decided to do this for all of us together Normally we do these things we call newcomers fellowships. And we bring everybody who's new in the the last quarter, the last six months, and we gather all together and we have something to eat. Sorry we don't have something to eat, but we do have coffee. And we gather and we talk about how the bridge got here, what took place, um, why we're here as a church. So kind of the the what and the why and the when and and the how and go through all of this stuff so that people who are new can get a sense of the Bridge Fellowship, because we're not a denomination, so you can't come swinging in here and just make assumptions that, oh, this is like the church I went to before. It may not be. It could be completely whacked out, and you need to know. (laughs) Peter said in 2 Peter 1.13, I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Hey, I believe the laying aside of our earthly dwellings is imminent. And so this is a good time, even if you have been at the bridge for 17 and a half years, as I have, it's a good time to be stirred up by way of reminder. So those of you who, maybe you've been to a newcomer's fellowship, maybe you've been here so long, you're like, Rick, I could do this. Okay, come on. Come on up. Even if you're in that place, to remember what he's done, where he's brought us, how God established this church fellowship in his much larger church, and why we're even here. That's what we want to talk about today, old 
and new things. Old timers and newcomers alike, this is for everybody. The Bridge Christian Fellowship is, in a sentence, a fellowship of believers in Jesus who take God at his word. Period. I don't know anything else that defines at least what we want to be. Now remember, in all of these things that we talk about, this is not the perfect church. Please let me know if you find it. I'll join you there. But we, there are principles and there are ideals and, and there is a grounding here on which all of this has been established and why we're here in the first place. The Bridge Christian Fellowship, I'll say it again, is a fellowship of believers in Jesus who take God at his word. What that means is simple. We are independent. Um, we're a non-denominational assembly of people who believe in Jesus. So we were not planted by a mothership church. Um, we're subject only to the Lord and to his word. We don't have to answer to others outside. Now, now that has made people over the years a little uncomfortable sometimes. Well, where's your accountability? <laughs> How much do you trust the Lord? Because our accountability is to him. And he said very clearly in his word, we don't love him, he'll remove the lampstand. And we as a fellowship will not succeed and will not function. So he is our accountability. We do also have authority and accountability, a governing uh, system, I guess you could call it, here at the bridge. I believe that the Lord's set up, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we're just an independent fellowship. So we're not Baptist or Methodist. We're not Mormon. And even if I knock on your door, not Jehovah's Witness. So we're, we're, we're not a cult. And we're not a denominational church. We're none of those things. And again, our only governing body are those called by the Lord in this place. But how did it all get started? How, how, do, you, how do you even start a church especially in such a weird place as this. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. And let, before I read this, let me tell you something. I may say some things this morning that you don't believe. That's okay. I'm not going to say anything weird or unbiblical, but I may say something you might go, ah, I'm not sure if I, if I buy that, Rick. And that's okay, because some of what I have to share with you is personal experience. And personal experience can be dicey. You know, someone can stand up and go, I know this happened. And there's really no way to argue that point. So don't argue with me today. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20, says very clearly, although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The Bible declares that God's people hear God. Now that's a whole different discussion I don't have time to get into this morning, but there are some among us this morning who I'm sure would say, I don't believe you audibly hear God. And if you're one of those, I would say to you, well, he has been heard and he will be heard. So in this middle section, I'm not sure why he wouldn't be heard. But if that's where you're at, if you're like, I, I think hearing is more like we hear him in his word. I'm okay with that because it is his word. If you're like, I, I think we hear him more in, in, by impression. Okay, I'm all right with that as long as it aligns with his word. 
Or if you're like me, you believe, yes, people can actually audibly hear from the Lord. I say, I totally agree, and it will align with his word. So Cheryl and I had been praying for just that, praying for the leading of the Lord. I want to tell you one more thing just about me personally. Um, I did not grow up in a Pentecostal environment. I did not grow up in a uh, active Holy Spirit environment. I grew up in a church that was cessationist, which means ceased, that the Holy Spirit ceased active work with the last of the apostles. And for 2,000 years, the only work of the Spirit has been in his word. That's how I grew up. No gifts of the Spirit and, and, and no active you know, work other than Bible study and in the word of God. That was my tradition. God blew that right out of the water. I mean, blew more holes in it than I can even explain, and especially over the last 17 and a half years. And it was long before that that he began to totally dismantle that thinking in my own mind. And I would challenge you, if you come from that perspective, get into the word and let God's word tell you whether the Holy Spirit is ceased or is active. Anyway, Cheryl and I had been praying for seven months for God's leading. Uncertain of where we were to go, what we were to do. I had been in ministry for a long time up to that point, youth ministry and then associate ministry. And, and there was just this, this longing in our hearts just to do what God wanted us to do. I could float a resume. I didn't want to float a resume. In fact, I, I felt like I had the impression that I was not supposed to just be floating a resume to churches to see who, who would bite. And we began to pray and wait and pray and wait. And it was literally February of 2003 all the way through September or to September of 2003. We had just been praying and waiting on the Lord. And there was a church down in Southern California looking for a senior pastor. I happened to know a couple of the elders. I had worked with them when I was a youth pastor several years before. They were interested. We were having conversation. I had sent them my resume because they asked for it. And so that was kind of going on. And I was sure that's where I was going. Tuesday morning, early morning, September the 2nd of 2003, I went with a friend out to go, and I, I lived over on Fidalgo Island, so I came with a friend across the bridge to go fishing in Cornet Bay. I'm not a big fisherman. I'm not even a little fisherman, let's just be honest, I don't fish. <laughs> but we came across the bridge, and we were just driving out, it's like 6 a.m., Way too early. That's my problem with fishing. If you got to get up that early to relax, I'd rather stay in bed. I just say. So we come across the bridge. We drove down the hill there. We came to the light, stoplight, left to Cornet Bay, right into the you know, Deception Pass Park. We're sitting there at the red light, and I heard a question. And it was as audible as anything I've ever heard. Would you be willing to plant a church on North Whidbey Island? It was so strange, and it was so clear to me that I turned to my friend Andrew, and I said, what'd you say? And he's like, huh? And I'm like, would you be willing to plant a church on North Whidbey Island? No. <laughs> was my first reaction. No, I don't, I don't want to plant a church. I'm talking to this church in California. They got a women's ministry and a children's ministry for my wife and my kids. They got stuff going on. All I have to do is just go there and teach and I can, you know, let them do church stuff and I can just, I was so excited just to do that. Would you be willing to plant a church on North Whidbey Island? So we went out fishing. I caught nothing. 
my friends pulling in salmon right and left, and I'm like, you know. But the whole time, I'm, I'm, I'm in this bizarre debate in my brain with the Lord. Uh, a little battle in my soul just going, Lord, was that you? And if it wasn't you, am I going nuts? Because why am I now asking myself questions? Would you be willing to plant a church in North Whidbey Island? I'm like, what's on North Whidbey Island? So you need to understand, if, if you live over in Anacortes, you don't cross the bridge. Why would you do that? No, you, you hop on the road and you head out to Mount Vernon and then you go down to Seattle or up north to Bellingham. You do not go to Whidbey Island because <laughs> we didn't even know what was going on over here. <laughs> so we're out there all, all day long. I'm just like, would you be willing to plant a church in North Whidbey Island? I got home and I didn't even tell Cheryl. Um, and Cheryl was not looking forward to moving back to California. But I just, all week long, I'm thinking, where did that come from? You know, is I've been praying. Is that God? Is that me? Saturday. Saturday of that same week, I heard the same question. But this time, I was sitting at breakfast with Mark and Susan Harris. Cheryl and I were with the Harrises. Are they, are you guys here this service? Maybe, maybe next? Okay, they're not here right now. And uh, we're just having breakfast at their house, hanging out, and all of a sudden, middle of the meal, Mark leans across the table and goes, Rick, I gotta ask you a question. Would you be willing to plant a church on North Whidbey Island? And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, that's the second time I've heard that question this week. And that was the first time that I recounted the story to them and to Cheryl, first time she had heard it. We finished up breakfast, cleaned up the dishes. I, we may not even have cleaned the dishes. We jumped in the car and we drove across the bridge. And we came down the hill. And, and, and at the stoplight, I'm like, this is where I heard you, Lord, you know. And, and there was the big log house that, that is now up for sale again. Nothing seems to be able to stay in that place. And we, we looked at that, and, and we were just talking about, does God want another church here? And I had to struggle with that, too, because there are churches in Oak Harbor, churches in Anacortes. I'm like, what do you want another church for, Lord? And all that month... I was struggling. In fact, I heard the question. It became a month of many questions for me, asking the Lord over and over, okay, was that really you? And it's so funny to me because he said it, and then he confirmed it, and I'm still going, well, but I'm not sure. I know none of you have ever had that experience. But I'm asking the Lord, can you give me confirmation? Because I don't want to step out and do something stupid, you know, that could hurt my kids and my wife that, that, that you don't want me to do. So if this was you, if that was you that I heard, then I need to know that well, I was Gideon. In fact, that entire first year I was Gideon. I'm flipping the fleece every day going, okay, okay, make the dew go on the ground and not on the fleece. <laughs> See if you can do that. <laughs> and over and over I'm, I'm asking, I want confirmation, Lord. Help me to know that this was you. I went to a Calvary Northwest Pastors Conference that month. It's middle of the month. And I went there to clear my head. And what was so funny is every single, there, there was no theme to the conference. It was just the speakers were coming in and teaching whatever they wanted. Every single one was talking about church planting. One of them on, on a particular afternoon, and it was Tom Stipe, right, who in the middle of his teaching, and I remember this line vividly, said, God may be asking you to plant a church in the middle of nowhere, and if he's asking, you just need to do it. <laughs> North Whidbey Island. Because I'll tell you what, as I, as I prayed through this, it was very clearly not Oak Harbor and not Anacortes. 
It was North Whidbey Island. It was middle of, I mean, not in it. You don't do that. You don't plant a church outside of a town. You, you go to the heart of the town where the people are, right? I'm like, nothing, there's nothing out in North Whidbey Island but houses and barns, Lord. <laughs> so I'm at the conference. And then Tuesday night of the conference, I, I remember um, Gail Irwin spoke, and, and he was fantastic. But he spoke from Matthew 16. And he, his whole teaching was Jesus saying, I will build my church. So every question I had going into that, by that night, I'm sitting there going, well, if he'll build his church, I'll show up. As long as I don't have to do the building, you know. And, and it was just this amazing process all month long. Monday, September 29th. So remember, I, I first heard on September 2nd, Monday, September 29th, Russ Pittis, Russ and Kathy are still part of our fellowship and have been for all these years, and Russ has been an elder for many years and all of that. Well, Russ and I, he said, let me just go drive around with you. Let's see what we can find. I'm like, sounds good. So we got in his truck, and we're driving across all over North Whidbey. We, we were going probably down as far as maybe Sleeper Road and, and then back up, but, but finding nothing and driving around and looking at places. We, we stopped off, and we... We looked at that log building again just to see, is, is, is this a possibility? Driving around, saw the fire station on, on Troxel and Monkey Hill. And I remember thinking, I wonder if they could just move the trucks out every you know, Sunday morning and we could just meet in there or where. And as we drove around, we came, we came north on Monkey Hill, came over the crest there. And as we were coming down the hill, Monkey Hill to Duckin Road, I looked and I saw this property. And I saw this big pond there and this Victorian house and a barn. And I blurted out as we were driving, you could ask Russ, I said, you know what, if God gave us a barn, we could start a church. And I said, Lord, give us a barn. <laughs> listen, listen, you don't, you don't say stuff like that. Because he'll say, okay, if that's what you're asking for. <laughs> And we came down to the turn. As we turned on Duckin Road and we're passing by this barn, Russ says, you know, Kathy knows the people, or at least used to know, I don't know if they're still living there, but knew the people who lived there. I'll have her give them a call, and maybe they'll know somewhere we can meet. That was Monday, September 29th. On Wednesday of that same week, I get a phone call from Kathy. She says, Rick, you've got to call Barb Gilmore. Why do I have to call Barb Gilmore? Because... I just got off the phone with her, and she said that she and her husband, Rod, had been thinking or feeling for a long time that God was going to do something on their property. And I went, huh. Never met these people before in my life. So I, that evening, gave Barb a call. Rod was out of town hunting. Barb said, hey, we'd love to get together and, and talk about this. And so um, we set a date on Saturday, um, Saturday, October the 4th, to go over to their house and to meet them and just to talk and see where they were at, see where we were at. So we show up, Cheryl, my wife, and I, and, and Mike and Leslie Freeman went over to Rod and Barb's house. Saturday, we're just meeting, at least at first, you know. Hi, I'm a pastor. I'd like to plant a church in your house. <laughs> you know. And they're sizing us up and we're sizing them up and we meet together in their living room and we just started talking and I shared my experiences and they began to share some things with me as well. Um, Rob was there and Barb and Carrie and Heather and, and Danny were all there. And, uh, and we, we had a great time. We, we really hit it off. Now, mark my words on this. I'd never met them before. I didn't know them before Saturday, October the 4th. 
And as we talked, I, I said, you know, we, we've been praying about this. We've really only been praying about it for a month now. This has not been long in the works. We just feel really led that God wants to start a church on North Whidbey Island, and we're just going to teach through the Bible. And I'm kind of laying out just some of what I was hearing. And I said, oh, and, and we believe the Lord wants to call it the Bridge Christian Fellowship. Barb goes, huh. She said, that's really interesting because a group of women and I were out at the bridge and we've been praying. We've been, there was a group of people who had been praying for God to bring a church to North Whidbey Island for about a year. And she said a couple of months ago we were out at the bridge praying and one of the ladies, as they were praying, said, I don't know why, but I feel like God is saying he's going to bring a new bridge. A new bridge. Now, we had decided on the name of the Bridge Christian Fellowship before I heard that. And I also have other people, Jeff and Penelope, <laughs> can verify that. And, and so it was just so interesting. It was like one of those moments of, huh. And of course, my faith being as deep and rich and full as it was, I left there going, is that you, Lord? Barb, at the end of our time of talking, we prayed for a while together, and it was really rich. It was very sweet. She said, so how soon do you want to start? And I said, how's Wednesday? <laughs> and they said, great. Wednesday, October the 8th, the British Christian Fellowship had its first Bible study. Now, remember, first time I even heard anything about this idea was September 2nd. By October the 8th, we were meeting. Had our first Bible study in the living room of Rod and Barb Gilmore. We worshiped. It was such a sweet time. We, we shared communion together. We were every Wednesday through that fall just meeting at their house, doing Bible study together. In fact, the first Wednesday I started in Genesis chapter 1. You can hear that. It's online on our website. The very first teaching, Genesis chapter 1. And we determined we're going to start right there and we're just going to start going through the Bible. I had no idea we'd ever make it through. But we started that Wednesday. And there were a handful of other people that, that gathered with us. And Tom and Jackie, I see you back there, and you guys were there. And there, there were, I think that first Wednesday, 18 or 20 people maybe. It's a little small group meeting in this home, and half didn't know the other half, and it was kind of an interesting meld. But, but you know what we had in common from the very get-go? Jesus. Jesus. So we all came together to worship him and focus on him and learn from his word. Mike Freeman and Jeff D'Angelo joined me starting that very first Wednesday night because the intention always was a church fellowship. It wasn't a small group. It wasn't a home church. It was a church fellowship. It was to let God continue to work in his larger church with this, with this little startup church. So Mike and Mike Freeman and Jeff D'Angelo were elders from the very first night. I'd asked them to be elders so that I wasn't just, you know, on my own. I wanted a couple of guys who had me in accountability and I could, you know, we could be accountable to each other. Both of these two guys served as elders for many, many years and very faithfully, among many others. Uh, three months later, Sunday, January the 11th, 2004, we had our first Sunday morning service in the barn. And the same barn that I had seen, the same barn that caused me to say, Lord, give us a barn. Oh, he gave us a barn. And it was a barn. Folks, you need to understand that we had, we spent Saturday, the day before January 10th, clearing out the barn, getting all the hay out. This was a hay barn. I'll never forget clearing out the hay one day. And this was actually uh, <laughs> several months later. I'll, I'll save that story. Wait. 
Because the way we started, no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in just a minute here. But the way we started was we came in and we cleared everything out, but we left stacks of hay along the back wall as places where the kids could sit. And then for chairs, we just said, bring your own chair. I mean, people were in lawn chairs, people were sitting on the concrete. It was just kind of all this, this rinky-dink, weird, fun uh, stuff they never teach you in Bible college, I can tell you that. We had transparencies we'd put down for worship, you know, on this little overhead projector. We had this cheap little sound system. Very first Sunday, we had a full worship team. How does that happen? Drums, bass, keyboards, guitars, the whole thing. Background singing. It was, it was a, what a hoot. In fact, Tom played bass that first Sunday, didn't you? He's still playing. And um, we just, we had a marvelous time. It was a few months later, we were in the barn, and we decided, finally, I think we bought some chairs, um, but we decided we need to go ahead and clear out the hay. We're clearing out the hay, and Annie, their dog, who, by the way, was the church dog for years, because Annie would just come and fall asleep in my teaching, which was not encouraging to me. But Annie's over there by this hay, and she's growling at the hay, and, and Russ was saying, there's something in that hay. And I'm like, nah, there's nothing in the hay. And Russ goes, watch this. And he pulls the hay, and this rat jumps. Big rat. I mean, it was, it was three feet long. <laughs> I know, because it came right at me. And I jumped, and it went right under me. And Annie did, too. It was crazy. That was the hay that the kids had been sitting on for three or four months. So, you know, they weren't alone. In fact, our membership I, was much larger than I realized. We were in a barn, folks, and we froze in the wintertime. We brought in little space heaters, you know, those little kerosene heaters, so people are getting the word, and a little high at the same time. <laughs> they had the little hand things from Costco, you know, we had, we had carpet squares that we put down, because if you put your feet on that concrete in the winter, you froze. It was, it was but people started coming. That, I think, was the most amazing thing to me, was in this freezing cold old barn. Actually, it wasn't an old barn. Oh, there's something else I have to tell you. A year and a half, two years maybe, before I met the Gilmores, they had an old rickety barn that their kids used to play in, and it blew down in a windstorm. And Rod checked their homeowner's insurance and found that it covered a brand new barn. Concrete floor, lights up in the ceilings, everything you need for a little church, done. It's like God was just preparing for that little church to meet there in that barn. The first year in the barn was wonderful. It was, it was fun. It was under the radar. I mean, I got to tell you, as, as a pastor, to not be known by anybody else and just to do our own thing, it was so cool. It was so freeing. And we enjoyed it so much. It was, it was a tough year because there were a lot of things as, as word spread, which it does around here pretty fast, there were things that were being said that were not true things that were not fair, things that were not right. But God kept saying, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, I am your shield. I'm your shield. You just keep teaching my word. You guys just keep, I will take care of that. You just do what I've asked you to do. And so it was great because I'm working out of my house. We're just kind of hubbing down here in this barn and doing our thing. But I remember one Wednesday night that I was walking um, down to the barn. And it might... <laughs> Another completely separate story I don't have time for this morning, but there's, there's the Gilmore's property and a fence, and my property is right, right there. 
in my house. And we ended up buying that property that fall. Uh, and it, the way God aligned all that was amazing. Well, I'm walking down from my house, down through the woods and across over to the barn. As I'm walking down on a Wednesday night, one of the things that happened was as we shifted to Sunday morning services, we continued doing Wednesday night. We still do. Sunday and Wednesday through the word. And we had shifted to where we were doing Sunday services and Wednesday night services, and I'm walking down on Wednesday night, and most of those who were coming on Wednesdays in the fall of 2003 shifted to Sunday and didn't keep doing both. So there were many Wednesday nights where if we had three people show up, you know, that, that wasn't a surprise to me. Three, five, seven people. Um, during that first year especially, it really was narrow. And, and to the point where I'm, I'm putting in this, I'm doing Greek and Hebrew words. I'm like, Lord, three people. And, and he just, you know, was, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just record it because it'll be of use later. Okay. And it's of use now for those. So I'm walking down anyway. <laughs> long story, a little bit longer. Walking down the path, and I, and I was discouraged. I was really discouraged because I knew I was going to, not that the five people there weren't wonderful, lovely people, but I put a lot of effort and energy into the teaching of the word and being ready and, and, and leading worship. I led worship during that entire first 11 years in the barn, first couple of years in this building too. And I, I just was a little bummed. And I was like, Lord, what if I was wrong? What if it really wasn't you? What if this whole thing, you know, now this ball is rolling and, and, and what if it just kind of falls apart? And so I prayed, literally I said, you know what, Lord, I believe you spoke to me. I need another confirmation tonight. I flipped the fleece. <laughs> Would you please, Lord, just from someone who doesn't even know what I'm thinking or feeling, we just bring some confirmation that we're doing the right thing. And I walked on down there got out the guitar, we did worship, I got through the teaching. By the time the evening was over, as is always the case, I felt great. And I, just, and I completely forgot that I was bummed out. And I completely forgot that I had asked the Lord for any kind of confirmation, by the way. That, that just completely was out of my mind. I'm walking out of the door of the barn that night, and there was a couple who came like two times and then never again. Clearly, they were not impressed. No. No, they, they were like on their way moving out of the area, but they had heard, and so they came once or twice, and then they moved. And they, they came up to me, and, and the, the wife said, she said, Rick, I, I, I need to tell you something. She said, this is really weird for me because I'm not from like a Pentecostal background. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I get that. She goes, but I think the Lord wants me to share a verse with you. And I said, well, what's that? For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And immediately I remembered praying, give me confirmation, Lord. Philippians 1.6, boom. She didn't know I needed it. She didn't know where my heart was. And she shared that. And if, if I told you every single thing like that that has happened across 17 and a half years, you would, it would blow your mind. Honestly, part of starting this church in the first place was my desire to do something that couldn't work unless God was in it, unless it was the Lord. And if you know, I wanted to know it was him and not me. I, I worked in a student ministry, large church, Southern California, big budget, <coughs> huge budget. And, and it was a great church and we did great things in our student ministry, but I never felt like, like we could fully know it was the work of God because we worked so hard. 
And we had so much money to put into it, maybe that's why it was successful. So with the bridge, it was like, this thing flies, it's only going to happen because of Jesus. And so we've watched him do that. Even when the county tacked up a cease and desist order, that was fun. Friday, I get a call from Barb. Uh, Rick, there's a piece of paper on the barn. You might want to come down here and take a look at this. So I walk down there and take, cease and desist meeting. By order of Island County. It's all official, you know, taped. I think it was signed in crayon. I'm not sure. But I, I looked at that and, and it was like, what do we do? And of course, I immediately, I go home and I get on my computer. Okay, we can move half the people to Anacortes and half the people to Oak Harbor. Maybe we can meet here and meet there. I'm, I'm making all these stupid, silly plans. And <coughs> called Jeff D'Angelo. He goes, well, you know, federal law doesn't allow them to do that. They can't tell us we can't meet. I'm like, really? <laughs> so Sunday morning we met. And we didn't meet in rebellion or defiance. We met as American citizens who had the freedom to assemble and the freedom of speech. We met under a law called ARLUPA, which is the Religious Land Use and Protection Act that was, had been just recently signed by President George W. Bush. Good timing on his part. We went to the hearing examiner, and we're sitting, it's so weird, sitting on one, we have all of our, our church people sitting there, you know, in their chairs, and we're on one side of the room at a table, and Island County's on the other side of the room, and the hearing examiner, the judge, is sitting up there, and he hears their case on why we can't meet, and he hears our case on what, what else can we do. And there were probably, I don't know, 100 people meeting in the barn at that time. Hearing examiner, I'll never forget this, looked at them and looked at us after hearing all the evidence and goes, looks at Island County and goes, can't you just work with these people? And I'm like, yes. And he said, tell them what they need to do to try to meet some of your safety standards. And he looked at us and said, you need to find land as soon as possible. What's remarkable about that is I can tell you with absolute assurance, if that hadn't happened and if God hadn't started closing doors for us, we would still be in the barn huddled down there today. And some of you go, well, I think that's great. And, and I would say to you, yeah, to the detriment of those who have been able to come since we've moved out of the barn. See, God's always moving forward, even when we're really comfortable where we are. We were very comfortable where we were. Man, I've got to get moving here. So, so we got to stay in the barn longer, but we had to look for somewhere to meet. Let me backtrack. I want to tell you one other thing. In the very first year that we met, 2004, in May, we went down to Island County to let them know we were meeting in a barn on private property. We weren't trying to do anything, you know, um, illegal. And we met with the county people and we said, hey, what do we need to do just to be legit? And they said, well, you can't. We said, why? Well, Duck and Road is not a major arterial access road and therefore a church or organization can't meet on one of those roads in our county. It's against county code. We're like, okay, and this was May. By May, there was about... 65 people meeting in the barn and we said well what are we supposed to do and you know it's island county they're cool they, they go well as long as no one complains um you can you can be there but do not advertise <laughs> which i think is great when you're trying to start a church <laughs> no advertising see this, this is our this is our key to growing a church no advertising um, and start looking for land as soon as possible. So we had been looking for land, and we had been tucking away money for land and trying to figure that out. Ultimately, um, we found this 20 acres. And what was remarkable is I remember when we found it, found it was up for sale, I remember 
would you plant a church on North Whidbey Island? And, and the sense even back then was that it would be north of Troxel Road, Troxel to the bridge, somewhere up in this. I mean, it was such a narrow strip that we knew we were supposed to be. I remember the elders meeting that we had in Rod's living room where we sat around and we knew the land was for sale. We could, we could purchase it if we wanted to. $225,000 for the land for 20 acres. And that's all we had in the bank. That was every dollar. And we had been tucking away and setting aside, but that which we had set aside and with the most recent offering, and we had been just doing offerings. I'll get to that <laughs> maybe next week. Um, all the money that we had was about $225,000. We had enough to buy the land and we would be at zero. And we sat in that meeting and we talked about it and the wisdom of it and we prayed about it and all of us were heart to heart, we need to buy the land and trust the Lord. And so we prayed and asked God to bless that decision and the next morning I got a phone call from a gentleman who said, yeah, I'd like to buy the property and gift it to the church. By the end of the weekend, we had 20 acres and the 225 was still in our bank. Now, this is, again, I can't tell you how many times God has done that. That's why I'm still here. Because he keeps showing up. He, he's the one who, who decided that we should do this. I'm absolutely certain of that. So, wow. Sunday, October 19th of 2014 was our first Sunday morning in this building, and it was nuts. How many of you were here that morning? Can I just see a show of hands? Wasn't that crazy? We did one service because we thought, hey, let's just all be together. And it's like 650 people and people are hanging out of the rafters. And, and you know, we had a big barbecue and it was just completely nuts. And by the end of the day, Eva's like, I got to get a new job. <laughs> and she'd been working for like two weeks. So, you know, um, it was really crazy, but it was wonderful and, and very difficult to leave the barn. That was hard. I missed it. There are still times where I think back to how easy it was. No, zero overhead. Well, we had a roof, but that was it. And, and how much fun that was. But that gives you kind of a background of, of where this came from. How do you do church? How do you do church with no denominational backing? No blueprint for it. You just kind of here we go. You just start. It made me think about how, how did Paul do it? Think about the churches he planted. The church in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica he, was, he was there three weeks, maybe four. Planted a church and left. How do you do that? How did Peter do it or, or any of the apostles? And actually, if you think back, it's pretty simple. They were trained by Jesus, led by his spirit, and they held on to the ancient word. And that was church. And we've gotten so convoluted over 2,000 years that we, we, we make church complex. Let me give you the blueprint. You can, you can turn there or, or just listen to me, but the blueprint is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which tells us, and you can turn there if you want to, they were continually devoting themselves to, and it lists four things the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's it. By the way, that was my first Sunday morning teaching on January 11th, 2004 in the barn. We were in Genesis, but I took a few minutes and went over here 
Because that, that's the blueprint. That's how you do it. Apostles teaching, fellowship, bringing of bread, and prayer. The apostles teaching, teach the word. Let the word be the standard for all that you do. Base everything that you do on God's word and not on the wisdom of man. And that's why we go verse by verse through the Bible. It's not some pattern or some idea from somewhere else. It's just, hey, I'm not smart enough to do anything else. And I also, and I said this Wednesday night, do not believe you want to come and hear my views and my opinions and my thoughts about stuff. Why am I right and you're wrong? This is right. So we go verse by verse through the Bible on, on Sunday mornings, our tendency, and if you've been here, you know this, but our tendency on Sunday mornings is to hone in on, on a smaller section or passage, and then on Wednesday nights, we'll cover larger sections, a couple of chapters maybe at a time, sometimes just one chapter, but we're going verse by verse all the way through. We just finished Leviticus, and we're heading into Numbers next, because that's where we are, and that's where we've been. And for the most part, chronologically, just going through the Bible. Now, I've broken that up. I, I will probably, when we finish Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, Lord willing, if we're still here, we'll probably do a gospel. And then we'll continue on for a while, and then we'll do a gospel. And that was a pattern that, that we started before. But it's just teaching through the word, verse by verse. As Paul said, Acts chapter 20, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. If it's in this book, it is intended for us to hear it. The apostles' teaching. So that's number one, fellowship. Fellowship is huge. That's why we're called the Bridge Christian Fellowship. By the way, whose job in the first century church was fellowship? Anybody answer that one? Among the apostles, whose job was it? What are you saying, Susie? Deacons. The deacons? That's a good guess. Was it Peter? Was it John Bartholomew? Was it one of the deacons, Stephen? I'll tell you whose job fellowship was in the first century church. It was the first century church. Fellowship depends on the people wanting fellowship. Pretty basic. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Some say, oh, that was just having a meal together. Perhaps, but it always centered in, I believe, on the Lord's table. That the breaking of bread in scripture, there's that implication of breaking bread as the body of Christ and sharing wine or the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, as the blood of Christ. And so that's why we take communion every time we meet. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. And again, prayer, which I have learned, is as much listening as it is speaking. So what we have tried to do from day one is seek a very healthy balance, best that we can, of the word of God and the spirit of God. Not denying either one. Not denying the gifts of the spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the spirit in and among us doing his work, and at the same time grounded in and stabilized by the word of God because the spirit is not going to contradict the word. And the word is not going to contradict the spirit. And you don't have to worry about becoming, going off the walls because you know that the Holy Spirit is always going to proclaim and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus is praised, the Holy Spirit is present. So, again, very simple. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. Let me give you some other principles. The Acts chapter 2 verse 43 continues saying, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind. Where? In the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me throw some principles at you real quickly here. Membership. We've got a, a form you need to fill out. We're going to need a vial of your blood. <laughs> we don't have a membership at the Bridge Christian Fellowship. There is no place to sign on the dotted line. We have a church directory if you want to have your information in there. That's fine. But we don't have a formal membership here. I'm not saying that churches shouldn't, but we don't. Why? We're just a fellowship of the larger church. We are part of the church that God, that Jesus builds and we're a fellowship within that. And again, Acts 2.47 says, the Lord adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. So God determines membership, not me. And not you. So we don't have a, a membership. It's difficult because you can't say, oh yeah, I'm a member of the British Christian Fellowship. Can't say that. You're not. You can say I'm a part of it. I'm in that fellowship. That's my family. That's all good, but we don't have a membership. How do we organize them? What's, what's our leadership structure? And this also remains very simple. In the New Testament, and I can back this up for you, there are two kinds of leaders or two kinds of people, two roles really within the church that, that organize a church and, and cause it to function. And those roles are shepherds and servants. Very simple, shepherds and servants. Shepherds, number one, you've heard them called elders, uh, bishops, there are three different words for leadership in the church in the New Testament. There's presbyteros, which is elder. There's episkopos, which is bishop. And then there's poimen, which is pastor or shepherd. So shepherds, bishops, elders, what's the difference? They're all one role. In fact, they're all used interchangeably. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus and he says, be on your guard, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishops, to shepherd, pastor, the flock of God which he purchased with his own blood. He's calling the elders, bishops, and shepherds. It's all one leadership role. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says, therefore I exert, exhort the elders among you, presbyteros, I said there wasn't going to be any Greek or Hebrew today, didn't I? I lied. <laughs> I exhort the elders among you, presbyteros, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd or pastor, poimen, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, bishopry, oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness. Any of our shepherds who are here this morning, could you guys just stand up real quick so you can get it, people can get a visual? I'm not going to give your background or anything, but those of you who are shepherds, okay. So there you go. So we've got Doug Audie here and Mike Hoffman and Jake Barksdale and Les Dams. So four of our guys are here. Shepherds. We call them shepherds. We chose to go with shepherds rather than elder, rather than bishop. Bishop would have been fun, but we'd all have to have these weird hats. And so... <laughs> So we chose not to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and we decided not to go elder. And elder, these are all fine words. They're all biblical words for church leadership. But we chose just, let's just call them shepherds. Why? 
because I think it speaks more clearly of the heart of Jesus. Just shepherd. Just shepherd your people. And so that's our intention uh, to do that, to have the shepherds who smell like sheep. And by the way, the shepherds are sheep. Okay, so it, it, it's just, we're, we're just a body together. How are they chosen? How do you choose those shepherds who are in leadership of the bridge? It's not by vote. We, we don't do the congregational, and I could get all into different styles of leadership in churches. I don't think any of them are wrong per se. I, I, think, I think the most biblical approach is that God, God calls a pastor who surrounds himself with shepherds. And that's what we do. And that's kind of how, how we focus. And so we have all of our shepherds together. Um, they are chosen not by vote, so there's no popularity contest, or I really want this guy, or this guy has my ear, or I have his ear. You know, it's just our current shepherds, and I pray, and every now and then we just bring up names. Hey, what do you think about this person? Or this person. And we sit there and we have a good conversation about that person and their personal. No, we don't. We, <laughs> we ask the Lord and we pray about it. And we look for people who are called. And by the way, if you feel called to shepherd in this fellowship, you can always come and talk to me about that. I may hand you a toilet brush to start. But we wait to see who is called by the Lord. We prayerfully seek the standards of Scripture. If you want to know what they are, I think I put them up on the verse list. John 21, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, which all describe the kind of person that God is looking for. And by the way, none of us fit all those qualifications. We just seek to do the closest that we possibly can, but we recognize human fallibility and frailty. It's just the way it is. Uh, why do you not have any women? I hear you using guys and men. And what, what about women? Do you not have women shepherds here? No, we don't. We don't. And there's a reason for that. And, and what's really funny with what's going on in our culture right now is I sometimes really feel like a knuckle-dragging knuckle Neanderthal. But it, it, as our culture surges forward in all kinds of ridiculous gender confusion, we understand this to be absolute. Genesis 1:27 God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them. And there are no other options according to this book. And I mention that specifically because HR5 passed the house for the second time on Thursday the Equality Act which will rewrite the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and will blow the door open for all kinds of what they call gender equality, but basically what says that this book is illegal if it passes the Senate. It will put me in jeopardy of going to jail simply for teaching this word. That's how far this country has come. You've come a long way, baby. But we stand on the principles of Scripture. We understand there is something, and in both Titus chapter, uh, Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says very clearly that the shepherd must be the husband of one wife. That role is absolute. This doesn't mean men are, are better. In fact, it clarifies for us that a man must be a husband of one wife because we're no good alone. You understand that, that God puts the two together? And so while the men are shepherds of the fellowship, they must also be married, which 
means the wife is the sounding board and does bring wisdom and compassion where necessary. And that's why we do it that way. But we stand on God's standards for gender. And we understand that in the church, no matter what culture ever says, that we have certain roles that we function in. Does that mean a woman couldn't be an amazing elder or shepherd? No, it doesn't. In fact, there are many times where I think, wow, my sisters have this much better than I do. But that's not the point. The point is not who could do it or who's, who's better qualified or who's more intellectual. The point is God said, I want the men to be shepherds in the church. And they need to be married. And that's, that's his standard. So that's what we're going to follow and that's what we're going to do. And, and by the way, we have been called knuckle-dragging Neanderthals by some already simply because we don't have women as shepherds. It's not because the men are lording it over here. Not because women don't have a voice in this fellowship. It's because God's word declares it that way. John 21, you can go there. I'm not going to read it right now just for time's sake. But that describes Jesus talks, about, talks to Peter about shepherding his sheep and feeding his flock and, and tending his lambs. And that's, that's the mentality that we have and why we call our guys shepherds. Do you have deacons? Deacons, the, the word is diakonos, and it, it is a word that means servants, it means ministers, and yes, we do, but we don't have a separate little uh, junior elder class. We don't have a specific role that we call deacons. Instead, we just leave it open to anyone who wants to do ministry at the bridge. So our entire ministry staff are deacons, male and female. And the Bible, by the way, allows for that very clearly. Uh, Phoebe was a deacon, and when deacons are described, if your Bible in discussing deacons, and I believe it's 1 Timothy 3, goes on to say the deacons and their wives. Well, it doesn't say and their wives. The actual language is and the women are such and such. So, so we have men and women uh, who are servants together. We have shepherds and servants. Very simple. Biblically broad enough to include everyone who serves in any capacity. Um, staff, why don't you guys stand up real quick? Any, anyone who's on staff who's here right now. So Josiah Doner is our worship uh, leader. And Ieva, whose name is really fun to get used to, Ieva Zandowski is our office administrator. She's the one who you're going to talk to if you call the phone and help set, keep me straight, keep my head straight. And we have Camerly Barksdale, who is over children's, and Jake Barksdale, who is a, a shepherd, and he is over discipleship, and he's doing youth. Uh, he, for a long time, he was our youth pastor, and now he's back doing that as well and doing a, a great job. And Les Dams, who is our pastor of prayer I'll tell you this real quickly about Les he was the first person to come on staff and the first role that we had other than Rick as the teaching pastor was pastor of prayer because God said I want you to, to be talking to me and listening to me so that's Les's primary job and you'll see Les and Donna they do a lot of the visits you guys can sit back down um, Dean Hestmark in the back is over facilities Okay, he oversees all of that. Also with him, he has Alice Beyer and Jane Rubink, and, and they do all the cleaning, and they do a fantastic job. Hillary is not here. Hillary Hoffman is over our finances. She's our bookkeeper and our, our finance gal, and she is spot on. She's fantastic. Been so good to have her in that role. Brandy Hayes, who will be here second service, is our women's director. And I'm Rick Crawford, and the rest of them help keep me sane. So that's how it works. We're a pastor-led fellowship as long as the senior pastor himself is led. So please hear me clearly on that. That's what Paul said. He said, 
Follow my example as I follow Christ. So as long as I'm following Jesus and teaching the word, then, then the leadership is sound. If I veer from that, then you need to call me on it because my greatest accountability is to our entire fellowship and to the shepherds around me and to our ministry staff. All right, I, I, a couple more things I want to throw at you. I wanted to allow some time for questions, but boy vey. Ordinances. What are the holy ordinances that we observe? And there are two very simply, baptism and communion. Baptism, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19. Baptism throughout the scriptures is very clear, it's very plain. We have a baptistry, you may notice it's a pool over there, and the whole point of that is that the word baptizo means to immerse, so we immerse. We also teach believer's baptism. So we don't baptize infants, even with children, if we're going to baptize a child, they need to be old enough to believe in Jesus. They need to, to profess faith first because baptism is simply the outward expression of what's happening in the heart. Uh, we've baptized a lot of people who were baptized as infants. I don't deny the faith of mom and dad when they had a person, when they had a baby baptized. Uh, that's not, I'm not here to say they were wrong. What I'm saying is that was their faith. What about yours? And if it's your faith, own it and express it yourself by choosing to be baptized. So we teach baptism. I know I'm moving very quickly here, but just stay with me. We share communion as less shared every single time we meet. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Anyone have a problem with remembering Jesus as often as possible? We started out taking it every, well, actually, we started out taking it on Wednesday nights that first fall in the barn. Then we moved into, our first fall in the living room, and then we moved into the barn and started only taking it on Sundays. But then after a while, we're like, why aren't we taking it on Wednesday too? And so we take it Sundays and Wednesdays, and we encourage people in small groups, take communion together. In fact, I think it's a great idea if you have, you know, every Christian family ought to have the elements of communion at home set aside. And if you have someone over for a meal, break bread and, and share the juice and, and focus on Jesus for a few minutes together. It'll make the whole evening very sweet. Now, in light of what Jesus gave, and, and communion remembers all that he gave and all that he did, in light of what he gave, let me very quickly address finances and giving, because I do this in every newcomer's fellowship. Finances are overseen by the shepherds and no shepherd knows what everybody gives. That was a principle from the very beginning. I never look at who gives. I don't know what anybody gives. So I can talk very openly and honestly about what the Bible says about giving without worrying about offending anybody because I don't know. I don't know if you give a lot. I don't know if you give a little. I don't know if you don't give at all. God knows. God knows. The only one who absolutely knows for sure would be Hillary, who handles finances on staff, and the only reason she knows is so that she can produce it for tax purposes if you want that, that list of your giving. So she would be aware, but she ain't telling. We began uh, early on tithing as a church. In fact, from our very first meeting, we had a box that we set down in the corner, and we said, if you want to give to the Bridge Fellowship, there's the box. We now have boxes on the back wall. If you want to give, that's where it is. Or you can text or you can, uh, you can do online giving as well. It's, it's, it's all pretty simple to do. 
That's between you and God. We don't pass plates because it's, it's not a matter of showing or, or and, and other churches do, that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. But we began a process from day one, we said, as a church, we're gonna teach what I believe to be the biblical principle of tithing. That's 10%ing. That I believe the best place to start in our giving is start by giving 10% of what God's given you. Is that net or is that gross, Rick? I think it's totally gross. <laughs> so we teach the principle of tithing, and I can talk to you more about that if you're curious, but, but we said, hey, if we're going to ask people to tithe, then we as a church are going to tithe. So from the very first offering, we started tithing 10%. 10% is tithing. We took 10% of everything that came in, and we sent it to missions. We started with two missionaries, one in Costa Rica and one in the Middle East and Asia. And now, I don't even, how many do we have? Over 40 mission works or missionaries that we're, that we're supporting now. And currently, our, our giving to missionaries is 20% of everything that comes in. So all of our, uh, it, when you are tithing or giving to this fellowship, understand 20% goes out before we pay our bills. Before we pay our staff, that's our commitment to the Lord. And he has blessed us so amazingly. I mentioned this on Wednesday night. I need to tell you right now, this last year when we saw everybody financially take a hit because of COVID-19 and because of the government shutdowns and all that was happening, we kind of buckled down as the year began going, okay, this, this may be tight. We're just going to trust the Lord on this. And our giving at the Bridge Fellowship increased over this last year. So we give 20% of everything that comes in, but please hear me on this. Let me just speak to the heart of this matter. The debate in the church continues to be whether or not tithing, Old Testament style, 10% of, of income, is it an Old Testament or a New Testament concept? Is it a thing of the past because now the church is under grace? And here's the thing. Let me say this very clearly. When Christians argue over whether tithing is an Old Testament or a New Testament issue, it's not a matter of hermeneutics or principles of interpretation. It is a matter of the heart. Tithing is a matter of the heart, and you cannot tell me otherwise, and that may convict or make some uncomfortable. Tithing is a faith issue, period. And if you argue against it, then I say, why? And if that makes you uncomfortable, understand for 35 years, I got uncomfortable every single time the pastor talked about tithing. I hated the conversation because it made me so uncomfortable because I wasn't doing it. And after a while, the excuses ran out and I realized that's what I was doing. I was just making excuses for not trusting God. So we teach tithing as a biblical standard. I don't do special offering messages. We don't take special offerings. That's between you and the Lord. We never ask anybody what they give, but we believe what the Bible teaches. And whenever it comes up in Scripture, as it did on Wednesday night, we'll talk about it. And we'll look at what the Bible has to say about it. So that's, that's tithing. We've moved beyond that now. You can now breathe again. What about fellowship in small groups? And again, Acts chapter 2 describes God's biblical standard, including in the temple and house to house. And let me just speak to this briefly. There's been movements throughout, really, our country's history and the church's history. There's been movements back to house churches. 
And, and every now and then I hear, I hear someone say, oh, yeah, well, no, I go to a house church. And that's, that's fine. And sometimes that's fine for a season. And maybe that, that's what God is doing in your life. But the biblical example is house to house and in the temple. Because we need to gather as a larger fellowship. I absolutely believe in the assembly of the saints because there are things that we can do together that a house church cannot do. But I, there are also things that happen in a house church that will never happen here on a Sunday morning. There's body life ministry and there's connection one to another and that needs to happen and nothing has taken a bigger hit in the last year than church fellowship. And it's why we finally just said, you know what, we, we, we have to be open. And let me say this to you very clearly, and you can hold my feet to this. We will not close these doors again. And I don't care what happens. I care about people. Now, we may tell you, you know, you got to decide if you want to be here, if some other pandemic hits or some other crisis comes. But my friends, we have to be together. Um, the larger church, the smaller church in homes Folks, that is one of the Lord's best methods of sanctification, is us being together. Which means sometimes sacrificing personal desire over what's better for the larger body, the larger fellowship. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You can love each other in a small group, in a home. You can even take an offering and support a missionary or two. But if you want to do the work of the kingdom, there are things you can't do in a home that you can do in a larger fellowship. And I believe from the very get-go, when God said, would you plant a church on North Whidbey Island, I knew what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about a little house church. He was talking about the Bridge Christian Fellowship. So I, I believe in that. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I believe we're going to need each other more than ever before in the days that are drawing near. So if you're willing to open up your home for a small group fellowship, you need to talk to Jake. And he's sitting right there. Talk to him. Say, hey, I, you know, I don't, I'm maybe not a Bible scholar. I'm not sure about teaching or whatnot. But hey, we'll have people in our home. Because we need to get that ball rolling again and start encouraging fellowship as a body. Do you have a statement of faith? The last question I'll answer. Do you have a statement of faith? Yes, we do. Right here. <laughs> we do have one written down. We, had to, we, we have bylaws uh, as, a, as a, uh, articles of incorporation. We have all that. We have written bylaws, and we have at the very end of our bylaws a statement of faith. Our bylaws are, are probably the most fluid document of anything we do here. We've changed them numerous times. Every time we change the bylaws, I bring them into the shepherds, we talk them through, we talk about the changes we want to make, and we do that. The statement of faith has changed many times over the years. Well, that's not very stable, Rick. Let me read you the very last paragraph of the Bridge Christian Fellowship Statement of Faith. And if you want to see the Statement of Faith, we're not hiding it. We just don't publish it because we, this is, again, this is the primary doctrine of our fellowship. But we have it if you want to see it. Here's the final paragraph. The statement of faith does not exhaust the extent of our beliefs. 
The Bible itself, as the inspired and infallible word of God that speaks with final authority concerning truth, morality, and the proper conduct of mankind, is the sole and final source of all that we believe. That's the standard. So that's why we do what we do. And I put this out to all of you. If we're ever doing something that you believe to be unbiblical, show me, tell me, and we will change it. We're not doing what we're doing to try and be a certain tradition. We want to keep the word of God old and new. Any questions? Listen, I, I, let me end with this. And if you have any more questions, feel free to talk to me. Uh, the, the questions are not limited to this morning only. But I believe the church right now is bamidbar. Bamidbar. It's the one Hebrew word I will give you this morning. Bamidbar in Hebrew is in the wilderness. It is the name, the Hebrew name for the book of Numbers. So the timing is perfect. But I don't think that's ironic. I think it's intentional because the church and this fellowship in our journey here in the church age, we are on the verge of promise. We're so close. There are days I can taste it. But we're in the wilderness. And it's, we, we talked about this several weeks ago with the teaching in the run-up to the rapture that we're not going to come out of easy days and just be caught up. We're going to come out of the wilderness. We're going to come out of hard times. There are battles ahead for the church. There are venomous snakes that are going to try and kill your faith. There is immorality that will plague literally the so-called people of God. There's immorality right now going on in the church that God is not going to, he's not going to stand for. There are churches by name who are doing things in absolute opposition to God's word. And a lot of it comes back to that gender stuff. And they're going to have to answer for that. There are hard times. I don't know how long. I hope very short. I hope the hard times last another hour and a half. And then... <laughs> but there are giants ahead. Revelation 19 verse 8 says of the church, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We are called to be a people who are clothed in righteousness by the blood of Christ, to live lives that are righteous based on the word of God. So the question is, and I'll leave you with a question, will we continue to wear his righteousness on our sleeves? Will we continue regardless of culture, regardless of government, regardless of anything else that's coming down in this age, will we seek to be right with God first, even in the face of societal rebellion, even when people are telling you you're wrong for believing that, will you seek to be right with God? I guess I don't have to tell you our country is on a fast track to unrighteousness. And it's, it's been blazing fast. And I do believe our homecoming is imminent, but I'm also more and more convinced we're going to be caught up from the wilderness. Until then, Isaiah 8.20, I'll leave you with this. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak, speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn.